0: Hi, and welcome to the Embody Your Flow podcast. My name is Monica Martin. I am a life transformation coach, and I am here to hold space for you to create a life you truly love by blending spirituality and science. I overcame CPTSD due to severe childhood trauma and burned out. This podcast is all about life transformation, wellness, and reclaiming your birthright, which is to live a life that makes you feel happy, fulfilled, and free. Hi, Sarah. Hello. Thank you for being here today. How are you?
1: I am very, very excited to be here um, and super excited for this chat.
0: How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. And I am, you know, I'm excited to know more about you and your powerful life transformation. So tell me, where did you, where did you grow up and what was like, what was life like growing up for you? Sure. So I
1: grew up in Michigan, uh, in the United States, um, and I grew up in an incredibly conservative Christian atmosphere. So, like, take what you know about Christians and then times the conservativeness by like eleven, uh, and that's somewhat close to to how I was raised. Um, to the point that I would consider it uh, cult like. Um, in the way that like mainstream Christianity is not so much as, but, uh, Christianity in, in America is pretty strong, pretty pervasive. And like, even by those standards, I was raising them a very strict home. So I very much grew up with this idea of like, should, this is how it should be. This is how life should go. This is what you should do. Um, and anything less than that was was evil. It was wrong. And it was sinning. And uh, if you sin, you go to hell. So you don't want to do any of those things. Um, of course. And also, I am a, a fairly strong, independent, <laughs> intellectual female. Uh, and I was raised in a community that believes in headship. And for those that don't know, in Christianity, headship means that the male is the head of the house and you do what they say. So, as you can imagine, my personality was not always appreciated <laughs> within the community that I was raised, so i in an effort to be like safe and loved and uh not go to hell um i I very much tried to conform and create a version of myself that was acceptable to to how I was raised um and it didn't work out. It does not it does not go well. Uh I started what with like well, in order to to save myself from like traumatic experiences, I can remember when I was like six or seven years old, I was in a very small Christian school and I knew I was different, like starkly knew that I was different. Um and that different How, in this environment. Yeah. How different? My brain didn't work the way that everyone else's did. It was like they were living by a set of social norms that like everyone else got sat down and had explained to them, but like, no one gave me the class. So everyone was speaking English, but in a way that I didn't understand. And so it made me uh, an outcast from my my school and my community. Um which was deeply un- unsafe. So, uh you know, I tried to create a version of me that they would find acceptable. Um but they didn't it didn't really work out. Uh I actually can remember in the 6th grade. I don't know what the European uh version of 6th grade is, but What's I think it was age? around
0: How ten, what are you? 10. Okay.
1: Yeah, 9 or 10. Um my classmates actually tried to drown me In a swimming pool uh, party. So yeah, it wasn't a great
0: time. Um, Okay, so I I don't understand how um, kids who are about 10 years old mm -hmm. decide all of a sudden to drown another kid. I think
1: that in the context of which we were raised, it makes more sense. Because the the lifestyle that I grew up in was very harsh and very rule oriented. And it, it was very much dictated by fear and by judgment because essentially it's, you know, God judges you and and Mm -hmm. I judge you and everybody judges you. And so how people made themselves uh, feel better about them is to pass that that judgment and that stress that they're feeling onto to a more obvious target, yeah, and then I unfortunately was the most obvious target, so you have years then of like elementary school that I was bullied in this manner, and not just by like children but by their parents because i in My inability to fit in, I would ask questions or push boundaries that made them deeply uncomfortable, Um, and at the time, I didn't realize that I was being so controversial or making them think about things that they'd rather not. I was just just... asking
0: questions. Mm -hmm. You you were just curious.
1: Not really an acceptable thing uh, in the Christian. Um. Area that I was that I was raised in, like you don't. It's just what it is. Don't ask questions. Mm -hmm. I recognize now that that's because they didn't have the answers, or rather, that they didn't want to think about the answers because it was too uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But in a sense, I represented everything that made people
0: uncomfortable. Your threat Um, to their system.
1: Yes. Yes. So after accumulation of of years of. Kind of being allowed to be treated any kind of way, and seeing your parents kind of accept that.
0: Okay, yeah, I was about to ask. You know, what about your parents? Like, how did your parents react?
1: So, some of my memories, admittedly, are are sketchy because uh, PTSD has yeah um, I the great ability yeah. of of shutting things yeah. out. They're like, you just don't need to think about this anymore. So, I do think that they were aware, um, and I do i I know that that I had told some things to them, but. You have to understand that they were raised in the same atmosphere so they were bullied the same way so the coping mechanisms that they learned of like this isn't okay don't say these things like just keep your head down and and life will be okay ish um Whoa, were passed sad. down to me
0: that's uh can you I, I just cannot imagine just having my kid coming from school and telling me they're being bullied and me just telling them, you know, just, you know, like basically nothing, nothing to protect mm-hmm. them. It's, yeah. it's really heartbreaking. I used to feel because it
1: wasn't just like school kids. It was like um, I have a very large extended family. Um, so it was also, you know, family members and aunts and uncles who would do similar things. And I for a long time, um, I felt resentful of my parents. Yeah. Um But I've come to realize that that not that I don't have the right to feel resentful or feel any kind of way about it. Um that's authentic to me. Like that's my experience, and I yeah. I am allowed to have that. Of course. But more so that I look at how my parents were raised. Um So, like, my mom was raised by World War II refugees from the Netherlands, and that trauma very much shaped how they raised their kids. And so my mom was one of 11 um, and a female in a house that believes in headship. So my mom had very little rights, and no one Mm. cared about her thoughts or opinion or or even thought that she was worth very much aside from, you know, hopefully – making an advantageous marriage and even when she met my dad and married him um you know she went on to hold like public office and do all of these things that were not easy for her or expected of her because she certainly did not have the the ability or the like hand up to achieve them like she did it all by herself um but even then those same those same brothers and sisters of hers will will tell her that she only got to where she is because she married my dad which invalidates everything that yeah. she put out so and then my dad was raised by a narcissistic mother um you know who who treated him like you know he needed to take care of their household and you know like bring home the money and like make sure that everything goes the way that it's supposed to. So in their own different ways, they were both also emotionally abused, I think, fairly significantly. Mm. So, you know, luckily I was raised and and you were raised in a time where mental health and therapy and, and things of that nature may not be like something to get excited about, but it's certainly not stigmatized or demonized the way that it was back in the day. Of course, um,
0: but I would say that as a child. So, I don't know if you know a little bit about my own story, but I grew up in very like toxic and abusive en- environment. But I remember as a child, I w- had enough self awareness to recognize that the behaviors that my parents had were wrong. You know, like I had the self awareness to ask myself, you know, like okay, this is what I'm, this is what I'm seeing here. This is all I know, but I know that there's a better way. And I didn't know what that was at the time because I was still, you know, very young. And all I knew was, you know, like my parents' environment was my environment. And so, and I think that you also had this self-awareness because you kept asking questions in a system that was not made for you to ask questions? Would you say that you felt very early on that something was off in the system you were raised in? Um.
1: So that's a, a great question. And it, it doesn't have a necessarily easy answer. So um, no, I didn't realize that life could or maybe should be different, because this was the not only the family, but the extended family, the community that I was Mm -hmm. raised in, everyone was the same. And so I was not ever exposed as a child to anything different. So the natural conclusion that I came to was, well, I must be the problem because everyone feels this way. So Mm -hmm. I am the issue. Um, and, and that led to a lot of like depression and, and mental health things later. Um, I think what kept me questioning um, is I I am neurodivergent um, and ADHD, and I don't see things the way um, that society deems typical or acceptable. So I think that if I knew that by questioning, I was like rocking the boat, I probably wouldn't have done it, but my brain didn't understand that I was testing social norms it just saw like well if and you were still a, you know pretty
0: young as well yeah
1: yeah I'm like well if this is a and a plus b is supposed to equal c but like that doesn't make sense to me so I was questioning to try to make sense although I will say that as I got older um and you know like I hit my teenage years and those hormones start flowing i <laughs> accepted at that I'd accepted that at that point that um, nothing I was going to do was going to make people like me, so I very much kind of had this like, well, I'm going down, let's burn it all down." And that's when I started getting uh, pretty feisty and bringing up things like um, LGBTQ rights and and things of that nature, um, or because I had at that time like an extensive biblical training, I would be like, "Well. The New Testament says that you are, uh, are not allowed to have short hair. And uh, hey, Aunt Susie, your hair's short, so when are <laughs> we stoning you? Um, and you can imagine that didn't go over well. So, so I definitely, as I got older, start to, I started to realize more. But at that time when I was younger, um, the only logical conclusion I could come to was I must be mm-hmm. inherently broken for everyone to feel this way about me.
0: And then there was a moment later in life. I don't know really when that started, but you started to have like health issues.
1: Yeah. So actually that help the health issues started uh, pretty early around 14. When I got my first menstrual menstrual cycle, it, it wasn't the same and it didn't flow kind of as it should as my counterparts. Um, And I started getting uh, like significant weight gain um when the rest of my family is is very skinny uh and my hormones were a mess and so i was i was dealing with the physical side effects of polycystic ovarian syndrome at that same time i was dealing with the emotional effects of of growing up in a physically and mentally abusive community so um I did have a suicide attempt when I was 14 uh, and, and looking back at it, it was, you know, cause in my, in my family, they didn't believe in mental health. So I had known for some time that like I wasn't okay and I, I needed some help, but I wasn't really allowed to have access to it. So um, I kind of came to the decision that either I was going to force their hand and get the help that I needed, or I wasn't gonna have to deal with it anymore um, and either, either outcome was acceptable to me at that time which i should caveat say that suicide is is never acceptable um and there is always there is always help and options mm-hmm. that I but would it be was happy what you were feeling at the to.
0: time because there was no one that you know was willing to help you and was actually willing to hear you
1: yeah um i would say though that it wasn't uh like a suicidal urge in its truest form it was more so of a I was playing big to get the help that I needed. So it, it was a gamble. Um, okay. So it, death was not like my deepest urge, as it was like, if this doesn't wake them up to get help, then it like, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So, so that started like that kind of defined my, my high school years. Um, and, and high school in the States is like, 14 to 18 um and very much during that time i went through like so many different like iterations of me to try and figure out what felt true so like i went through like this hardcore like goth um time period and then i tried to be like uber christian like just like perfect um and then i like i tried on being like a perfect student and an athlete and like like all of these like versions almost like trying on a wardrobe to see what fit um, and none of them felt right like none of them felt good I could do it for a little bit but it it never really came to fruition because none of them were me they were all like course, yeah. caricatures that I observed that I was like well maybe that's me maybe that's me I don't know let me try this So I very much grew up with this idea of like, if you just follow societal norms and shoulds, then you will be safe and loved and everything will go okay. So I kind of let that follow me through my young adult years. And I went to college, um, started a career, got a master's degree and got married, had a baby. All while living by should. This is what I should do. And so I created an entire life of should. Corporate career, you know, per- cute little house, perfect little baby. Um, And, and you and, still went
0: to, to church every Sunday? No, I stopped
1: going to church when I left my parents' house. Um, And, and to this day, I doubt... I mean, aside from like weddings and funerals, I, I don't go. And I doubt okay. that there will ever be a time where I will be able to return even if I wanted to because the uh, the abuse is too, while I am healing it, I, I feel for me, the church is not a safe place um, and I doubt anything could ever happen to make that not feel that way. But also, during that time, I didn't, like disavow Christianity because I had brought up with this idea that, like, if you're not Christian, you're going to hell mm-hmm. um, yeah. in a very graphic kind of like underworld scenario that I uh, did not want. Um, so there was a lot of fear there of like, well, this isn't me, and this isn't where I fit, but I can't,
0: yeah, let sense.
1: go of it because, like, I was raised with this idea that God is like a kind of like wrathful, judgeful person. Mm. And like, I didn't want to say like, well, I don't believe in Jesus because I, I don't want to go to hell. Mm. So I, I went along like that for quite some time. Um,
0: Would you say, I have a question that is coming up. Would you say that this system of, you know, making you being fearful of being who you truly are. And to the point that, you know, you don't want to, not be Christian anymore because you were scared of going to hell, do mm-hmm. you think that what's been taught basically is a way to control people with fear
1: it de- so I, I yes, I do think Christianity is controlling the the basis of their control though uh is you'll find is different depending on like what denomination or what version of Christianity you prescribe to so some, some aspects of the Christian Church uh, control using fear, uh, fear of hell, fear of God's judgment, fear of being ostracized from the community okay. uh, that you were raised in, and I think other Christian um, walks of life control using love, so like the very opposite. Yeah, and I would I even hesitate to say that like even if you grew up in a European Christian tradition. Uh, it would still not be the same as as American. Oh yeah, Christian I know. Traditions. Americans
0: are hardcore. I know.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, you can just look at our politics and and yes, you see that. Some churches I think control using love or the idea of love. Um, because when you look at like a church service, it is very um it's very much set up to elicit an emotional response. So, like, from the the music to the the message to the way that everything is conducted, it's kind of created to give you that like dopamine hit. So
0: it kind of feels like you know, like a I don't know, like uh, like a politician event, for example, or uh, like could, a Tony Robbins event, for example. You know, like yeah, they're like you know they would, they're.
1: Whip the crowd up into a frenzy. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So it is very much like that. Um, and it is, it is orchestrated to be like that on purpose. So I think that perhaps I sound anti-Christianity and, and I'm not. What I am anti is uh, creating a false emotional experience to try to heal or fill a wound that someone has that does not actually do either of those things.
0: it yeah, makes sense. So it's kind of like a, kind of like a make believe in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just like, um,
1: like you would see, like if you went to like a club and like a DJ, a good DJ has the ability to like, have you dancing, twerking, crying, hugging, like you feel all the emotions by the time you leave uh churches some churches operate very much the same way
0: okay yeah so you had a baby and you had a husband and Mm -hmm. um yeah and how yeah what happened with your body within your body and Uh, literally everything fell apart everything fell apart
1: um so
0: and when did that happen when did you really feel that you were collapsing In a way.
1: After I had my son, I had terrible, terrible postpartum anxiety and depression, um, which is not atypical. um, And I kind of knew that that was coming uh, because my body does not, from the PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, my body doesn't deal with hormone surges very efficiently. It doesn't like it. So I I kind of expected that was going to come. Um, I did not expect the emotional triggers from my childhood that were going to arise. Um, And so, you know, I, I I dealt with the chemical imbalance and um, anyone who's had postpartum knows that eventually that, that calms and it goes away. Postpartum doesn't last forever. Although it certainly can feel like it when you're in it. Um, Of course. So So, as I should have been getting better, I was getting worse and I was getting more anxious and more depressed. And then physically, my body was just breaking down. Um, and I like, I was just incredibly exhausted. I couldn't really do anything. I just didn't feel good. So, you know, I went to my doctor and had labs run. And it's like, well, you're borderline diabetic and all of your like, minerals and things and iron that you should have a lot of like oh, that's all in the toilet and like like we can't actually you know we can't actually say that you are one thing or the other because your labs are so chaotic that it doesn't point to any one illness so that so kind it of was started... this
0: huge imbalance in your body
1: yes my, On my every whole level. body was messed up yeah, yeah like literally everything so I, I think I ended up with like 18 different specialists for different parts of my body um, because everything was so messed up. And I was like in and out of the hospital with like all of these crazy specialized tests that people don't normally get because nothing normal was happening within my body. And then even as I was like losing weight and like reversing my, my blood sugar damage and doing everything right, I actually got sicker. So you would think like, I I lost like 85 pounds and you would be like, oh, that's going to heal you. No, I got worse. So, and like, I wasn't underweight. Like it was, it was weight that I, you know, I didn't need, but I got worse. So that started me on this whole health journey of like, what is going on with my body? Mm -hmm. And so I had tons of specialists. I was on all kinds of medication getting all of this testing done. And I only got sicker. It only got worse. Um,
0: Did they, um, did they try to supplement with all the minerals that were, you were lacking of?
1: So in the United States, we have conventional medicine and we have um, like a more holistic functional approach. And I'm not sure how that breaks down in Europe, but like within the United States, a conventional doctor will look at like your iron or your vitamin D, maybe if you ask. It depends on kind of like the forward thinkiness oh, okay. of the doctor. Yeah, it's, it's but they it's pretty don't, basic. Yeah. They don't normally look at like a more significant breakdown. So I got to the point where like I was on so much medication and the medication was like interacting with each other, making me feel worse that oh, I God. just I couldn't work anymore. I had to take leave of absence of work. I just couldn't And you were not paid,
0: right? Thankfully,
1: I worked at a location where I did receive pay leave. However, that is not the typical American experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that usually people, when they're in sick leave, they're not being paid. And that that Mm -hmm. could be a nightmare, you know, when you're not feeling Mm -hmm. well and you need to rest. It's impossible because you're not getting paid. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. But yeah, thankfully for you, you were still paid.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, during that time, I just kind of like, I had enough. I was like, I'm, I'm getting off of all the medication. I like, fired all my doctors. Um, and I went to a functional practitioner who like ran different tests and actually did like stool testing and like checked mm-hmm. out what was going on in like my microbiome and my gut and and all of these things. And, um, you know, we came to a lot of realizations um, and so I started working on those. And also during that time, I realized that I hated my corporate job. Hated it. I went into life because I went, I was in human resources. Um, and I, I went into it thinking that like, this is, I really like business, but I also really want to help people. So this is how I can do both. And that, at least HR in America, is not generally how it operates. It's often, you know, human resources are used as a a weapon to keep employees in line. Oh, and same that here. was
0: <laughs> same here. I work for a yeah. big corporates and it's the same shit.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it, it was killing my soul because, you know, I was yeah, seeing I like good employees in need of just a little understanding, but but based on whatever political drama we were encased in, that yeah, it yeah. wasn't able to be given. So I knew I didn't want to go back to my job and I was seeing all of the amazing changes that functional medicine was making. So um, at that time I came across like health coaching and I have my bachelor's degree in social work. So I was like, yes, this is like all of my passions combined. Um, Like this just makes sense to me. It feels right. So I decided to become a health and wellness coach, which it was just Absolutely left field, had no idea it was coming, but very much the right thing to do. Um but even as I was doing everything with the the functional medical practitioner that I should, and you know, I now I have gained like holistic nutrition training and I, I know all of these things. I know absolutely what I need to do to be healthy. I couldn't do it. And I, my clients couldn't do it. And so I was taking a step back and thinking like, what, what is this? Like why, we have perfect eating plans. We just take these supplements to like level out your like vitamin D or your selenium or whatever. Like, But we just couldn't do it. And so in Western culture, we have like this diet culture of like, yeah. well, if you're not doing it, it's because you don't have willpower or because you don't care enough about it. You don't want it badly enough. Like you don't deserve to be healthy because if you did, then you would do what you needed to make it happen. Um, and I very much lived in that shame for a while. Like, oh, why am I so stupid? Why am I messing up? Why am I not just taking my supplements? I know that they make me feel better. Why am I not sleeping correctly? I know it makes me feel better um which that shame spiral only makes it worse it only makes you less likely of course, to yeah. to take to care heal. of yourself
0: yeah
1: so then i had to take a step even further back and say like okay like what's in my life that is making it impossible to heal and so that's when i really started to look at things and realize that like even though i had left my corporate job My life was still filled with toxicity and shadows and shoulds, and there was no room for, for health. There's no room for healing. There wasn't a lot of joy or passion or spirituality because based on how I was raised, like I had just turned that part of myself off. I didn't, I didn't touch it. I didn't talk to it. I didn't want anything to do with it. Um, and so i was so deeply disconnected from myself from my trauma and from like denying parts of me that i didn't feel safe with or know what to do with and from the world and and living into this like well if people find me funny enough or if i'm pretty enough or if i am helpful enough then i will be loved and therefore safe um and when you have all of that junk Inside of you, there's no room for hey, I want to take care of myself and love myself and live in an authentic alignment. And so what I realized is that you know, we very much treat the body in Western culture, not so much in others. um we t- we treat the body like it's the separate thing, yeah, and if the body is breaking down somewhere, then you fix the body and everything mm-hmm. is fine. Whereas I contend that with like chronic illness, it doesn't start in the body. It starts in the spirit and in the mind. Yes, And that when those things crumble or when they're disconnected or when they have holes that need to be filled, the body tries to pick up the slack to make us feel okay. The body tries to take care of us and say, okay, well, um, you know, we're not filling the spirit. We're not touching the mind. So I will take one for the team. Like we're not. I'm feeling anxious, I'm telling you things are not okay, but we're not in a place where we can touch what's making us anxious or change what's making us anxious, so I will take it for the team. And the body keeps taking things on and taking things on and taking things on because it loves us and it wants us to be okay and survive, Um, but it can only do it for so long before it starts to break down. And what I think is really tragic is that because of the society that we're raised in, then we look at our bodies like, oh, why do you suck? why can't you just be a size two? Why do you always want candy? Like, why are you broken? Why do you do this to me? Like the body has somehow betrayed you when in fact it twisted itself into a pretzel to take care of you.
0: When were you able to shift things for you and for your health and to finally find better and finally find yourself?
1: So I think that the shift had been a long time in coming, even though I didn't see it so like i mentioned Yeah, I it, it, it's, was,
0: it was a process
1: right yeah i mentioned i got married but what i did yeah. not mention is that i married someone outside of my race which in the family and the atmosphere that i grew up yeah. in was very much not okay i was a hundred like i i vividly remember my grandparents telling me that i was expected to marry a white dutch man and that was it um so when i did not follow that Um, and then went on to have an interracial baby, um, Mm. things, uh, got weird and, um, it kind of forced me to start to look at the parts of my life that I had been ignoring because they hurt and I didn't want to touch them, so to speak, um, because, You know, now I have this man that I love and this baby that I love and they are worth me dealing with them. And then I would say even, you know, when I had my child, there's a lot of parts of like my growing up years that I didn't want to deal with and I didn't want to touch. But when you become a parent, then you naturally kind of take a stock of your life and say, well, this is what I liked and this is what I'm going to continue. But this is not what I'm going to do to my child. This is like the generational trauma that I'm going to stop. And the only way to stop a generational trauma is to look at it and admit that it existed. So I had been kind of leading up to this for some time, but I think that, you know, when I was at the very worst of my health crisis and like there was no answer, no pill, no surgery that was just going to make it okay. And I really had to look at like, I'm going to be miserable and have a substandard life if I don't deal with these things um, that I, I kind of like a light was switched in me of like, okay, well, we're, we can't live like this. So what do you want to do? Um, And then it was, you know, like I changed my career and then and then once I changed my career, I, I started branching out and meeting new people. And you know they had like different likes and different tastes, and then, like I was kind of experiencing the world again um and then I would give myself permission to be whoever I am and to explore what that looks like, so I very much um am in tune with like nature and and the cycles of nature and, and and like the cycles of like the feminine and and things like that but it took a minute for me to be okay with that or to even admit that like for me to say like i like some witchy stuff like <laughs> it took decades for me to say that out loud and even in front of like some of my relatives i don't know if i could utter that sentence because again i don't want to go to hell um and it felt deeply unsafe so when there's a part of you that's who you are, but you're raised to think that it's unsafe to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, it It's hard to release those layers of of trauma and of conditioning to say, no, it's, it's okay. I can enjoy this. Um, so there was a point where I just gave myself permission to be like, go explore who you are and what makes you happy and what brings you joy and what lights you up. And, you know, whatever it is, we'll, we'll figure it out if it is like kind of against the grain, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. And so how do you feel now with everything that you've gone through? I feel
1: like I'm halfway there. Um, I feel like, you know, I've gone through so much and I've learned through so, so much and I've, I've grown, um, and I'm learning my power of who I am. Uh, actually someone asked me yesterday who like inspires me the most in life. And, and it's me. I inspire me the most because I have
0: gone. I through, can relate. Yeah. And I've, I think I've people gone through who some gone terrible through things. So much mm-hmm. hardship and we were able to you know, um, get to the other side of it. Well, like, you know, I can't look up to myself.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I can totally relate.
1: Yeah. So then, you know, I look at how far I've come and, and what I've done and what I've persevered through. Um, and I look at kind of where I want my life to go Mm -hmm. and it, it brings, um, a sense of joy, like a sense of peace, because I understand that like, if I can make it through what I already have, then everything else is kind of a done deal. I just got to stick with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And would you say that all, you know, the hormonal uh, imbalance that you had very early on, that's, mm-hmm. you realize you had them around 14, maybe probably started before, but you were not aware mm-hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. Would you say, because we, we, you know, you and I, we know that all the issue we have in the body comes from, you know, an emotional wound or something. And would you say that how you were treated as a little girl and as a woman growing up in that very religious environment could have impacted your hormones? Yeah, it's actually really interesting that you ask that because
1: in my family and in my extended family, most of the women have ended up getting hysterectomies by the time they're like forty, because uh, like PCOS and endometriosis and things of that nature are so chronic within my family, and so um, I believe in in ep- well, I don't have to believe it in science, but epigenetics. I Where was about, I, think-
0: to, I was about to say it. Yeah. Cause people say uh, so much, you know, oh, it's because of my DNA. It's because of my mother because she had it, blah, blah, blah. No, I think mm-hmm. it's really more about epigenetics.
1: Yes. So genetically, I do think my family is prone to this. And unfortunately, since we're so Dutch, um, you know, we probably could have used, uh, some different DNA strands in our family to mm-hmm. help us not be so susceptible to certain things. Um, So I I think genetically we are susceptible. I think it's the trauma that my family holds that triggers that, you know, the, for those of you who don't know what, like the kind of the history of epigenetics, the idea is that there's like, your DNA is 98%, like a series of light switches. And so, yes, you may get something like diabetes or cancer or, you know, whatever have you, but something still has to switch that light.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And if you can switch it on,
0: then you can also switch it off. Yeah. And um, what would you say, like, if you could go back in time and uh, meet the little you, Mm -hmm. what would you tell her?
1: Well, little Sarah still lives inside of me, and she's a bit wounded, but we're working on it. So she and I talk often. Um, But the thing that we talk about most is that she is not wrong or bad or broken or not supposed to be any certain kind of way. And her treatment was not a reflection of her. It was a reflection of the broken people yeah. that she grew up in that were supposed to be taking care of her.
0: And now... Do you still believe
1: in hell? Um, no, I don't think so. I think I believe in reincarnation. Actually. I think that my, I've given this some thought and like, looked at like my human design and, and some different things. Um, I think my soul agreed to in this lifetime, deal with some really hard things. Cause like there's some sexual abuse and stuff in there that I I skipped over. and, um, I think my soul agreed to deal with some really hard things in order to overcome them, to then help people also overcome them. Because my whole whole goal in life is to uncover my light so that I can help other people uncover theirs and kind of just raise the emotional intelligence
0: of the planet. And so where can people find you?
1: Ah yes, um, you can find me at uh, www.horizonwellnessco.com, Um and that's where you can get all the lowdown on like my blog and my services and whatnot. And then I'm also on Instagram at Horizon Wellness Co, which is very much like I swear to you, I Instagram my journal. Like I just a journal, and I'm like, oh, that sounds like a good sentence, and I put it on a picture, <laughs> and it goes onto Instagram.
0: Perfect. And um, if you had anything to say to someone who has gone also through, I will call it, you know, like religion trauma. Mm -hmm. What would you like to tell them? So
1: I think that this relates to trauma of any kind, big T trauma or little T trauma. When you survive trauma, you tend to get stuck in that area. yeah, And then you feel like, And that's it. That's all life is going to be. So, for the people who deep down think it wasn't supposed to be like this, my health wasn't supposed to be like this, like my happiness wasn't supposed to be like this, my life was supposed to be more. I will say to you that you are right and it still can be.
0: Thank you so much for this um beautiful conversation yeah i had (laughs) fun hey not so fast do you want to find yourself do you want to find your happiness do you finally want to live a life you truly love then let's have a chat go check my website embodyyourflow.com and book your free call